It's interesting, isn't it, how we can get ourselves boxed into a corner down an alleyway with our thinking. And indeed, much of the so-called education system, which is nothing more than indoctrination in order to trap us into ways of thinking and being trapped in that alleyway or in that box means that we can't back out sometimes and have a look around and see what's actually going on. And being trapped like that means that we aren't able to put together new thought pathways as easily if we had a free and open mind that wasn't constrained. And I'd encourage you to keep asking questions, to keep widening your view, to expanding your horizons with your thoughts rather than just getting blocked into certain ways of thinking because in many ways they become traps to see what's really going on. And you end up, instead of seeing the true lie of the land, you end up living within the lie that you've been fed. Now, with that in mind, I'd like to take a quick look back at the idea of contagion. Contagion is, as far as I can tell, another hoax, another myth, and it's designed purely to control us. I would suggest that you do your own digging and your own searching for this, now, in the podcast notes, I will put links to the various things I'm going to talk about, and I'm going to read you some quotes. So the first is an excerpt from the book, The Poisoned Needle. Numerous experiments with germs conducted in the past have conclusively proven that bacteria does not and cannot produce disease in a healthy organism. Years ago, Dr. Pettenkoffer, professor at the University of Vienna, came to the conclusion that germs alone do not produce pathology and for years defended his position from the lecture platform and in his writings. On more than one occasion, he and his assistants swallowed the contents of glasses containing millions of living cholera germs. Dr. Thomas Powell of California, who is believed to have taken more germs than any other man, challenged his medical colleagues to produce a single disease by germ inoculation. He was inoculated with cholera germs, bubonic plague germs, and bacteria of every description and which was fed to him in every kind of food, yet nothing happened. And it also suggests on there that you read the US government bulletin, Hygienic Laboratory, Bulletin Number 123, February 1921, for further proof on contagious diseases. It is the yearly sickness. Each year is different. They are damaging our ether with 5G, which damages oxygen. The expressions that people call colds and flu are detox triggers, energy field-based triggers, the rest is all belief. Mind your mind. It is the flu, the usual sickness with a new challenge, a change. 5G damaging ether, making the cleanse specific to those adaptational needs. It is classic how natural detox works, and I talk about this in my videos. The family tribe, minus one, goes through the cleanse first. Then the caretaker goes through it after they are in recovery. It is a familial detox trigger pattern that happens to ensure the whole household is cleaned up and prepared for any other coming changes, nomadic movements to new food areas, food shortages, etc. Nothing is contagious. It is all an internal process and with specific signaling involved. This year's trend is 5G. Dr. Amanda Volmer. Contagion is a fairy story. And what I'm going to read next was posted in a Serene Theory group. 
and it was so well put together it deserves saving for posterity. And it was put together by Daniel Reuters, and I'll put a link to this in the show notes. This post contains scientific references of many studies that were all undertaken to try and prove that germs cause disease. All of the studies failed. Where is the evidence that viruses cause disease? I've been asking this for almost 12 months now, and no one has been able to provide me with a single peer-reviewed journal article showing an isolated virus causes disease. It should be so easy to look through the literature and find a study in a couple of months, yet no one seems to be able to do such a thing. Scientists and doctors have already done countless experiments to try and prove germ theory over the course of 120 plus years, and yet all have failed. So I will ask again, can anyone provide me one such study showing an isolated virus causes disease in humans? If so, I will gladly stand corrected and recount everything I've ever said on this matter. There needs to be a truly scientific and intellectually honest conversation about this. This is the beauty of the scientific method, that we can ask questions, challenge our beliefs, put forward new ideas that may or may not be correct, and learn new things. Here are just some of the experiments that have been done on the common cold stroke flu. Many studies like this have been done in other diseases like measles and chickenpox as well, and they have not been able to prove viral causation or contagion. In March of 1919, Rosenau and Keegan conducted nine separate experiments in a group of 49 healthy men to prove contagion. In all nine experiments, zero out of 49 men became sick after being exposed to sick people or the bodily fluids of sick people. In November 1919, eight separate experiments were conducted by Rosenau et al. in a group of 62 men trying to prove that influenza is contagious and causes disease. In all eight experiments, zero out of the 62 men became sick. Another set of eight experiments were undertaken in December of 1919 by McCoy et al. in 50 men to try to prove contagion. Once again, all eight experiments failed to prove people with influenza or their bodily fluids could cause illness. Zero out of 50 men became sick. In 1919, Wall et al. conducted three separate experiments to infect six healthy men with influenza by exposing them to mucus secretions and lung tissue from sick people. Zero out of the six men contracted influenza in any of these three studies. In 1920, Schmidt et al. conducted two controlled experiments, exposing healthy people to the bodily fluids of sick people. Of 196 people exposed to the mucus secretions of sick people, 21, 10.7% developed colds, and three developed GRIP, G-R-I-P-P-E, 1.5%. In the second group, of the 84 healthy people exposed to the mucus secretions of sick people, Five developed GRIP, 5.9%, and four colds, 4.7%. Of the 43 controls who had been inoculated with sterile salt solutions, eight, 18.6%, developed colds. A higher percentage of people got sick after being exposed to saline compared to those being exposed to the virus, in quotes. In 1921, Williams et al., tried to experimentally infect 45 healthy men with common colds and influenza by exposing them to mucus secretions from sick people, 
zero of 45 people became ill. In 1924, Robertson and Groves exposed 100 healthy individuals to the bodily secretions from 16 different people suffering from influenza. The authors concluded that zero of the 100 became sick as a result of being exposed to the bodily secretions. In 1930, Dochez et al. attempted to infect a group of men experimentally with the common cold. The authors stated in their results something that is nothing short of amazing. It was apparent, very early, that this individual was more or less unreliable, and from the start it was possible to keep him in the dark regarding our procedure. He had inconspicuous symptoms after his test injection of sterile broth, and no more striking results from the cold filtrate, until an assistant on the second day after the injection inadvertently referred to his failure to contract a cold. That evening and night, the subject reported severe symptomology, including sneezing, cough, sore throat, and stuffiness in the nose. The next morning, he was told that he'd been misinformed in regard to the nature of the filtrate and his symptoms subsided within the hour. It is important to note that there was an entire absence of objective pathological changes. In 1937, Burnett and Lush conducted an experiment exposing 200 healthy people to bodily secretions from people infected with influenza. Zero of 200 became sick. In 1940, Burnett and Foley tried to experimentally infect 15 university students with influenza. The authors concluded that their experiment was a failure. Addendum. One question that frequently comes up is the old story of giving infected blankets, in quotes, to the Native Americans to kill them. This story is a cover-up for the real killer, which was again allopathic medicine and their vaccines. The proof was always in plain sight. They vaccinated them. They got sick from the poisoning and died. Read between the lines. Vaccinating them would make it easier to get rid of them. Another little gem of an addendum I found on Facebook from Terry Allen. That which can be asserted without evidence can be dismissed without evidence. The onus is on those making the claims that viruses exist to prove they exist. I just finished reading all the books of Charles Fort, where we get the word Fortean from, and he wrote this about germ theory. Keep in mind, governments have known for over 200 years that germ theory is false. Of all germ distributors, the most notorious was Dr. Arthur W. Waite, who, in the year 1916, was an embarrassment to medical science. In his bacteriological laboratory, he had billions of germs. Waite planned to kill his father-in-law, John E. Peck, 435 Riverside Drive, New York City. He fed the old man germs of diphtheria, but got no results. He induced Peck to use a nasal spray, in which he had planted colonies of the germs of tuberculosis. He fed the old man calomel to weaken his resistance. He turned loose hordes of germs of typhoid, and then influenza. In desperation, he lost all standing in the annals of distinctive crimes and went common or used arsenic. One's impression is that, if anything, diets and inhalations of germs may be helpful, Charles Fort. All these experiments seem like a long time ago. Maybe they gave up trying to prove germ theory, so it is worth adding this little gem which happened during the whole AIDS pandemic. Yep, that was fake too. December 7, 1994, Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel, Greensboro, North Carolina. 
Dr. Wilner, a medical doctor of 40 years' experience, an outspoken whistleblower of the AIDS hoax. In front of a gathering of about 30 alternative medicine practitioners and several journalists, Wilner stuck a needle in the finger of Andres, 27, a Fort Lauderdale student who says he has tested positive for HIV. Then, wincing, the 65-year-old daughter stuck himself. In 1993, Dr. Wilner stunned Spain by inoculating himself with the blood of Pedro Tachino, an HIV-positive haemophiliac. This demonstration of devotion to the truth and the Hippocratic Oath he took nearly 40 years before was reported on the front page of every major newspaper in Spain. His appearance on Spain's most popular television show evoked a four-to-one response by the viewing audience in favour of his position against the AIDS hypothesis, in quotes. When asked why he would put his life on the line to make a point, Dr. Wilner replied, I do this to put a stop to the greatest murderous fraud in medical history. By injecting myself with the HIV-positive blood, I am proving the point, as Dr. Walter Reed did, to prove the truth about the yellow fever. In this way, it is my hope to expose the truth about HIV in the interest of all mankind. He tested negative multiple times. He died of a heart attack four months later, 15th April 1995. Isn't it funny how many of the naysayers all of a sudden die? I might suggest, if this has piqued your interest, that you look at some of the links I've put and also go and do your own digging and come to your own conclusions. As ever, you are amazing, and I'm looking forward to speaking to you in the next podcast. Take care. Bye-bye.